Welcome to the Universal Dancer Podcast with your host, Leslie Zare, author of The Alchemy of Dance and The Alchemia Remedies, coming to you live from Cairo, Egypt, the ancient land of Chem. Journey with us to explore sacred dance, the sacred arts, the mystical and the magical. Join a community of like-minded souls seeking to understand the cosmic dance of co-creation through the sacred arts. Come along and expand your mind, ignite your creativity, and explore something new and something old. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. I'm happy you could join us. If you're here live, please tell us where you're you're visiting from, and uh, welcome. So tonight I have Stefan Friedman. He's my guest, and I'm going to introduce you to him. And let me just, let's just jump right in. All right. Stefan Friedman and his wife, Bethan, were among the first wave of sacred circle dance teachers in the Findhorn tradition. For almost 40 years, they've toured the world leading sacred dance workshops from complete beginner to advanced levels, as well as cultural trips and festivals incorporating live music. Stefan's memorable choreography is designed for participation and is celebrated worldwide. Titles such as Silky, Long Road to Eden, Ganesha, and Embrace the Shadow signal that there is depth and purpose to his dances. Stefan describes himself as muse-driven, a practical dreamer shape-shifting from choreographer, dance facilitator, filmmaker, songwriter, author, community worker, festival organizer, and multi-instrumentalist. In all of these roles, the common thread is actualizing potential. For 16 years, Stefan has facilitated structured dance, creative movement, and music with the Inside Out Community Project. This serves adults receiving mental health support. Stefan says he learns constantly through feedback from people engaging with participatory arts. Stefan is passionate about promoting connection and harmony between people of diverse ethnic and faith backgrounds. His spiritual aspiration is surrendering to the infinite and then embodying the energy in the form of movement, emotion, and practical action. A constant theme, which he describes as both a strength and a challenge, is integration, the balance between striving and flowing. Stefan's groundbreaking new book, DanceWise, is a harvest from all these years of global and local group work. Stefan's early background in education, social science, and research are evident in his writing. His warm, humorous character and love of wordplay enlivens the serious writing with flashes of levity. In response to lockdown, Stefan is now hosting a series of dance, music, and creative events on Zoom. Let us welcome our guest, Stefan Friedman. Welcome. Welcome, Stefan. It's nice to have you here. It's great to be here, especially during lockdown. It's really nice to have a kind of an outreach to people, people you know and people you haven't met, yet met. Yes. I, Somehow. My Arizona, Katerina. Yes. We have, we have a lot of people joining us live. So Hi, thank you all for being here. 
Hi, Pat. And, uh, oh, it's really nice to see you here. Hi, Dawn. Hi, Tatiana. Welcome from Brazil. Nice. Brazil is my one of my second homes. Well, we're going to so, get into that <laughs> in just a moment. We're going to get into all of that. I'm going to stop saying hello to everybody so we can, <laughs> can have a chat. <laughs> yes. So maybe we can just begin by you just sort of telling us how you first got into dance. How did, what pulled you in and, and where did you begin? It's, um, it's a rather sweet story because my mother loved to sing and I loved her singing. I was a very dreamy child. And when she sang, it took me into, uh, into a, a lovely world. I was a rather insecure kid as well. And, it, and I felt very, um, somehow I felt very held by the singing and I connected with it. I joined in with it. Um, it was many years later because I was a shy um, young person. It, it was about the time early in my university days that a friend um, sort of coaxed me to come along to a community dance, a barn dance. And as it happened, the band were playing some East European music in, in the interval. And that was the music that especially captivated me. There was something about the, I know now that uh, some of it was in seven rhythm. Um, it was just different from anything I'd heard. But my body inwardly, my mind, my body, my spirit were dancing um, before I knew any steps and before I really had experience of it. So it was definitely music which drew me in. And having a very strong response to music, which wanted some physical expression, I needed to be inside the music. So when was that? I mean, how old were you when this was happening? Well, when my mum was singing to me, I think it started, it was probably started before I was born, but I didn't really become an embodied person or I began to become an embodied person in my early 20s because I was so much up in my head and so shy um, and I, very self-conscious about my movement and um, had all sorts of uh, ideas like I've got a funny walk and uh, I went to a boys school so I was shy of girls. It took me some time really just to sort of find find my body and find the joy of movement um, and dancing itself was so therapeutic for me that it, it took me on a journey to become uh, much more happy in my body and to, and to discover the, what we now think of as the body-mind, you know, the very intimate connection between movement and states of feeling and states of consciousness. What kind of dance did you start with? What well, it, it was what we might call rumpity dumpity dumpity dump, the sort of country dancing okay. type things. And that was great because you didn't have to be good at it. Um, and you didn't have to do anything fancy. Basically, we're just charging towards each other and away from each other and galloping down. Um, it was social. And it got it, it got me out of my general tendency to be rather slow and introverted and and in my head it was total uh, perfect remedy really rumpity dumpity dancing. And I think that I was having this conversation today with somebody about this about how we've we've come to this point where we feel that we need to perfect things or 
be professional at things. And we seem to have lost that ability to just do things for the joy of it or just to create. We don't necessarily yeah. have to take dance classes. We can just dance. And, and sometimes by becoming too professional at things, I think we lose the joy of it. So I think it's important to, to go back to that place of just dancing for, for the sheer joy of, of the movement and, and expression. I totally am on that wavelength, Leslie, especially having come from an inhibited place. And there are two, two demand, well, two or three thoughts that spring from that. One is that young children on the whole, we can't generalize, but on the whole, young children have a very free response to music. They like moving to it freely. They haven't yet been taught or given the idea that maybe some of their movements are silly or they're supposed to behave or sit still. Um, and that, and it's so lovely to watch and to be around because it's so natural and exuberant, just like animals when in, in springtime when it bounce about. And the other, the other part of my thought to that, it, and it's the beginning of the book that I wrote about dance, is what I call the invisible dance. Because even if I'm totally paralyzed when I hear music, something in me is responding in a different way to the way it responds to conversation or food. And it, uh, we know from science that actually music lights up more parts of the brain than any other activity that we know about because it, it's emotional, it's a language of emotions, it has structures, deep structures, complex structures, both the melody and the rhythm. So it's got sort of two sets of patterns going on and we're just really literally sort of lit up all over from music. And the inner dance happens regardless of whether we're able to move and express it outwardly. I do think that was happening with me. Um, as I grew up and, and found that I loved music and even before I was expressing it in a, a visible way. And I think probably even if someone doesn't consider themselves a dancer or even ever want to dance, my, my guess is that when they hear music, they're having that inner dance whether they realize it or not. But for me, I know I am. I'm very conscious that even if I'm sitting still, there's part of me that's dancing. But it would be curious to ask people who don't think they like to dance what kind of a, an experience they're having internally when they're hearing music. Yes, yes, I, w I would be interested too. And when we see people with headphones, you can often see that they're nodding heads, tapping yeah. feet. It's very hard not to move. Uh, I think it takes more effort to not move to music, but we've been learned to sit still, taught to sit still at our desks and all that, or that yeah. we might be looking foolish. So those natural responses tend to be muted. But yeah. I, do, I do think if we weren't shy, um, we wouldn't be naturally moving a lot more to sounds, even non-musical sounds, because everything creates a response in us. And again, going back to children, I think you see that in them. They're less controlled maybe than we are, and and so they do just start to move to to music when they hear it. I remember, yes. I remember reading the book, The Magical Child. I don't know if you've read this book. Uh, no, not no. yet. Oh, you would love this book. 
anyway, it was uh, Pierce, I think, is the, the name. I, I would have to look that up. But anyway, um, he was, this is a very old book, and he was noticing it, it, things in his own children. And one of his children could play the piano by ear, like at the age of four or something. And as soon as they taught the child how to read music, he lost the ability to to play by ear. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting because you're processing probably more from a left brain or something. And I mean, now I'm sure they could do some kind of a monitoring to find out what parts of the brain respond to playing by ear or to to learning music. But I thought that was so interesting that yeah. yes, you've you've completely changed the the way that child is experiencing something. So, yes, yes, I I find that interesting as well. And another layer of that is that we may lose our confidence to play by ear for two reasons. Firstly, there's the idea that well, the music's in the note in the dots, so without the dots, it isn't there. It's kind of no, nobody says it, but it's implied. Um, and the second is just this, it's the fear of imperfection. The, mu the music, if you get it right and you keep practicing, you can perfect it and pass an exam. So if you're improvising, some bits might sound more pleasing than others. You've got the, you've got, you're dealing with more uncertainty. And I would, I wish that education helped us to embrace uncertainty and to find the delicious possibilities in it, but it tends to shut it down and make us nervous around it. So there are those aspects. But I think that's changing. Again, I, I see this as part of the, the feminine, is that unknown. And, and it is a part maybe that we haven't embraced in recent times, but I think that's changing and, and things are becoming a bit more free form and, and hopefully people will become more comfortable with the idea of the unknown and being spontaneous and uh, it will take time. <laughs> oh, Leslie, I, I share I share that hope and vision and many of my friends do. But I would like to ask you what what shows you what are the signs for you that it's actually manifesting? Because I think we are embracing this, I think. Um, we're going into areas that are less structured and hopefully even in things that are structured like schooling, we have more maybe homeschooling and no schooling. So in that structure, but I just think that there's a lot of things. I think things like the internet and technology that have allowed us to explore the unknown are bringing are bringing, and I think things like dance, as we get more different styles of dance that are free form. I mean, they always existed, but we, I don't think we knew about them. Mm. Because for, for me, like I didn't really, I didn't know anything about belly dance or tribal dance until I came to Egypt. I left the US in, in 86. And although it was happening like in, clubs, you know, like Greek clubs or, or Middle Eastern clubs, it wasn't mainstream like it is now. I'm just using this as, as an example. Yes. But then, you know, it, it, I think with the internet, these things just flourished. Then you could, 
you could see all the different types of dance and you didn't it somebody in your town didn't have to know how to do it you could find it in a in a broader way you could watch videos about it so i do think those kind of free form um types of dances and just spirituality in general where you're not kind of stuck to some kind of religious dogma but you have this idea of of sort of just a, a wider concept i think those things are becoming more popular i i see what you mean and i i can see that actually that there is now there's much more freedom to take your inspiration from different sources and find the find the integrative mix that suits you you don't have to be a this or a that or subscribe to that school um and you can mix yoga and meditation or meditation and dance and they sit together very well i think there is a lot more freedom and exploration and you mentioned for example belly dance and tribal tribal dance they are i i find that interesting because they're both dance forms that allow you to improvise and teach a lot of technique and structure and hopefully that the aim and i think it's always the aim if you've got a sort of a wise system is to develop both of those paths so that they they support and enhance one another rather than one or the other and one one takes from the other because the structure gives you an increased vocabulary body confidence um a whole new it opens a world of possibilities that may not have been there before you learn the structure i found that learning salsa i got very excited about salsa um and then at a certain point it's like off you go never mind what you've learned it's inside you and now see where it takes you and that's so that's thoroughly liberating Yes, mu that muscle memory that then allows you, and I suppose that's the container as well. Mm. That, that can create a container to then be free in in your movement based on what your body is already holding. Yeah, yeah, like a conversation because we're using words. We we know the words have a certain rigidity and they don't always quite reach what we're trying to express. But without the words, we wouldn't really know where to start. We could grunt and, and make gestures. Um, so so we have a structure and we try and use it to transcend the structure. And I, I kind of like that. To me, that is a dance. Yes. And I think what you said, the, the integration aspect is important. I think we need to embrace I, I always felt this, that we need to embrace those masculine and feminine or yin yang and, and bring them together, structure and, and chaos, uh, and bring them together because either one of them being dominant is just being out of balance. So I think yes. hopefully we're coming to that realization that it shouldn't be one way or the other, but, but that it needs to be both very very much agree which is why i like the fact that you focus on the um what could be called feminine energy or feminine wisdom because it's much more to do with a holistic view um which incorporates feelings and intuitions and doesn't rely on a kind of a preset plan follow the plan <laughs> which is rather <laughs> limiting and deadening <laughs> Well, it's good to have a plan. My my philosophy is have a plan, but
but be willing to change. That it's Absolutely. good to have a structure, and then we can be dynamic within that structure. So, mm. um, yes, I think we need both. I went Before through a whole, a whole reminder of that. Um, writing the book that I mentioned is called Dance Wise, because I started off with a plan. I got very bogged down, and I just tried with my willpower to power through the bogged down. And in the end, I just had to give up and I had to literally surrender it to the universe and say, there's something I'm missing here. I'm going to stand out of the way and see what happens. And after a little while, it came back, but in a different form. And it feels, yeah. I, I well, I'm just glad that I let that space happen and didn't just try and keep powering through it. But I guess without the plan and the intention, it, it also wouldn't have manifested. It needed that too. Well, and I think that's sort of how you challenge the universe mm. is to say, I'm going in this direction. And if that's not the right direction, I think the universe, that's that dance of co-creation that I'm talking about. This is where I'm going. And if that's not where I should be going, then the universe can answer me back and, and say, no, why don't you kind of go in this direction? So to me, that's that's what that is, is that it is good to have, it's good, and it's good to be clear about it, to be clear about the direction. And then that's when you get the feedback as to, no, that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> that's not this, what we're doing. <laughs> this totally matches my experience, Leslie. And I have, as a result of it, and thinking about it and talking about it, I've, I've, I've come to like the idea, and you never know if your ideas are sort of, spot on or not but i like the idea that we are um we are part of an evolutionary impulse with we're fed by it and we're feeding into it in our tiny ways the little waves and the great ocean but every wave has a little bit to bring to the to the total ocean and when we challenge we challenge what is it's also we're bringing something in and saying is, is this grit going to make a pearl let's see what happens to it you know to be curious, yes, mm, and, and I, dynamic, yeah. Before I'm, I'm we not, go, go ahead. Well, Sorry. I just wanted to say, um, and I'm, I'm talking to myself really, but not to attach too strongly to the to my current configuration of things, because it might well need to change. In fact, I'd be disappointed if it didn't change. But I think that's a hard concept. Just the way that we've been educated, which. I would call programmed, but anyway, we're we're taught that we have to know what the outcome is, that we have to have a plan and we have to know what the outcome is. And that's just the way we've been taught. So so that's the process. And I think then you have to rise above yourself to say, okay, I'm gonna let go of that idea because it becomes kind of a knee-jerk reaction that if I don't have a plan and a way to get to my destination, then I haven't done my work. And I don't think that's true. I think, yeah, have a plan, but then you're gonna see where, where how you're actually gonna do that. <laughs> exactly. That's where the, what you said before about the balance between male and female or yin and yang, and it's a dynamic changing balance, which reminds me of dancing again. Um, exactly. To, to me, that really serves life because uh, there is direction, there is intention, 
it's not just um, nebulous things that never reach any conclusion. Um, but you're all you're also willing to listen to the feedback because otherwise things are only what you plan to do. And sometimes a lot more can come out if, it, if you make space for it. And I, I'm finding that more and more in terms of collaboration as well, that everyone I collaborate with, in, which includes people that uh, supposedly I'm teaching, but I'm also their, their student because it's, there's always a two-way exchange of, of feedback and, and learning. That for me is the way that I learn. I think that that's why I started teaching was because I needed to be able to move beyond my own thoughts or my own experiences. And the way to do that was to have somebody else's experience. So the, the way I did that was to teach this to someone else and then see what questions they ask me because they're gonna fill in the blanks of of what I don't know, or I'm going to find out what I don't know because they're going to ask me a question that maybe I don't know the answer to. Yeah, I think that's a way to expand. At least for me, that seems to be the way that that I learn. That I can expand my own understanding is is through other people's experiences. And for me, that usually comes from from teaching. So. I guess that's why I'm on this path. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the teaching, teaching, learning relationship. When I started teaching, I think it was much more about me finding confidence and finding a role for myself. And I don't think I was so aware of the, the mutuality of the relationship. I saw myself more as the provider of, of tuition. <laughs> um, but more and more it's become... Um, a dance, a two-way dance, you know, and we take turns in leading, if you like. But I think that's the old system, that the, the, the teacher was the expert and then the student was the one that was supposed to take the information from the expert. But yeah, there's a whole nother level to that of, of the agree. feedback loop. Yeah. But also for, for me personally, it was, it was having, I think uh, some low self-esteem type of issues and just needing I don't think I was a you know horribly strict I wasn't strict enough teacher the kids walked all over me when I was school teaching but um I think I did I did need I needed to somehow rise up in my own self-confidence before I was confident enough to really share the role and let go of the need to imagine that I was in control of something I want to ask you, I want to kind of go back a little bit. I want to talk about your book, but I want to go back to something else. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the, the sacred circle dance. Just maybe you can kind of explain what it is for people, because I think it's interesting to explore different types of dance. I, I like to do that on this program. So maybe you can explain kind of what it is and or what it looks like or how it's done <laughs> for those people who, I know there's a lot of people here that, that know you and your work, but for those who don't or who have never experienced circle dance, maybe you can explain what, what that is. Thank you, I'd, I'd love that opportunity. Um, and as you know, anybody that you talk to who's into something will give their own, it, it's never free from your own subjective view 
of it. So this is not like an official version. This is Stefan's um, personal take on sacred circle dance. Um, there are different, there are always different stories, but the main story that people will think about is this. There was a guy called Bernard Wozin, lived in Germany, born in Poland, and became a, a well-established, well-respected ballet dancer, ballet choreographer, took a trip to Eastern Europe and was, was bowled over by some of the traditional dancing that he saw there. And he said it wasn't just about the steps, it was about the, the relation between the people, the, the atmosphere that surrounded them. And whereas ballet very often has a great lightness to it and a lot is about out and up, these dances had a lot of, what would you say, um, they were very centered. There was a feeling of, of really uh, a real solid contact with the earth, which was really important, as if the earth and the feet were somehow, um, I'm, I'm losing my words really, but anyway, he was very taken with those dances, let me put it like that. He decided to learn them, study them, introduce them to groups, uh, ballet dancers and in, at universities and say, look, I feel something about these dances, do you? Can we just explore this? At a certain point, he took some of these dances to Fintorn. By this time, he'd choreographed some as well, which had the same, you might say, rooted or some something of a meditative, timeless feel. And the Fintorn community in the north of Scotland, which was a very broad-minded spiritual community, embraced them because it was a very physical way to embody their, their sense of being a, a community and because there was a dimension that could be called meditative or spiritual meaning that some of the dances were not all about excitement they were about feeling uh, stillness serenity connection and roots so one line of the story is that sacred circle dance has always existed, as you know, in many different forms. And one of those forms is the old folk dances, the village traditional folk dances. And this was the foundation for the sacred circle dance movement. Over the last few decades, because it's a very open-ended um, community enterprise with nobody in charge. We're all, we're all the boss. <laughs> You're the boss. Um, people have brought in all kinds of elements, classical music and movements, a lot more hand movements and expression with the whole body, whereas many traditional folk dances are very feet focused. Um, and it's continuing. It's an evolutionary form. There, there is no, um, what's to say this, there's nothing that doesn't belong. You can do some free dance in a circle dance session, you can meditate, you can have yoga. Um, but the core of it is dances where we do learn some steps so that we become one body moving together and we have the experience of, in a sense, stepping out of our solo isolated identity and becoming part of a flock and moving together and very often there's a feeling that the our hearts are connected and the connections don't just stop with the people but they go up 
to the universe and down into the earth. It's a very connecting experience. Uh, I could go on for a long time, but I hope that's kind of given a bit of a picture. So, but the theme running through Rue would probably be to bring people together in community. I mean, you're always having a group of people that are that are dancing together, I'm guessing. It's been very interesting offering circle dance sessions on Zoom. Good and point. <laughs> some people find it easier to enjoy or connect with than others because for some people the the palpable um, sense of touch and that social feeling and proximity is very central to their experience and for others I would say the inner dance the places that the music takes you and the way the movements make you feel is maybe more central to their experience and they have got a better chance of enjoying the zoom sessions that's what I focus on in the zoom sessions and I actually do a mixture of what you would probably call um uh, supporting free movement exercises and structured dance because I think when we're not holding hands that's our best opportunity is to have both of those elements and something you mentioned in your book that I thought you you just mentioned here about the folkloric dances but you mentioned in your book uh, about dances for occasions like Specifically, you were talking about funerals and how people don't tend to dance at funerals, but how this can be a really um, cathartic or a way to bring people together when they're when someone has passed. Yes, especially if you have music and dances that um, don't conflict with the mood that we may have which is a mood, a mood of um oh there's a wonderful word in brazil saudade it's you're missing somebody but there's also a great feeling of sweetness and and affection in that feeling it's not altogether sad but there's definitely sadness in there and longing um if you have music and and movement that connects with that saudade with that longing and it's not like, well, let's all pretend that, it, that there's nothing to be sad about and be jolly. But we actually say, OK, it's OK. We're going to be a little bit somber, but we're going to do it in a way that unifies us and, and somehow takes some of those feelings from trapped inside my own individual self to I'm sharing them. It's the same that we do when we share stories about the person that, that we loved. Um, or maybe their favorite song it's another way of expressing it and yeah so so dancing can sit it can really support us I think in that I just want to mention this is kind of on a tangent but also similar it was it was by pure chance that when the 9-11 when the news of the 9-11 tragedy happened we were in the south of france with a large international group of people which included americans and we sat down together that evening and some people said well obviously we're not going to dance this is just too this is just too horrendous we couldn't even think of dancing and some people said so you're going to stop the program because of something that's happened somewhere else 
and there was there was not immediate rapport we had different ways of looking at it some people wanted to almost pretend it didn't happen until they their holiday had finished some people were just very 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 engaged with the news and needed to be authentic so Bethan and I thought about it and we talked to the group a bit and he said well what we, what we'll do is we'll do one or two dances that have a very soothing and nurturing feeling and then we'll see what people want to do and that might be that might be the whole evening you might just leave people to their thoughts after those two dances there was such a healing atmosphere in the room that I don't think anybody wanted to leave and we, we it was actually a very long evening of dancing singing talking together and it it helped I mean it didn't make any difference to the world beyond our group but it helped our group process the news feel some sense of support and relief and also feel unified again having had very different individual responses so i could see the um the healing potential of dance in in distressful situations and that that to me connects with your question of the funeral funeral mm -hmm. yes and i think it's so important to when these things happen especially i mean i think that struck me in the book about the funeral uh, example because i think more and more people are not grieving they don't go through this this grieving process it's all become let's just go on with our lives or let's not think about it here in egypt we still have that grieving process we have condolences that go on for several days and and then you usually come back on the 40th day and at you say you sit as you said and, and tell stories about the the people and i thought that that was it is it's very healing to be able to move that through but what i've seen more in western culture is that just kind of denial you maybe go to the funeral and then you're supposed to get over it or forget the whole thing and to be able to allow those emotions and feelings and maybe memories to go through your body would be such a healing thing and i think it's also honoring that person i mean i would i would like to think about that i maybe that's a morbid thing to say but that, that would be wonderful I, if i you know if i thought my friends all got together and danced for me when i passed i think that that would be I would like that. I think that, I don't know, I, I feel very connected to that idea that that would be a wonderful thing for the person who had passed as well, not just for the group that's kind of left behind, but maybe as a way to connect with that person. So, I love that idea. I really love that idea. Um, I also have this rather mad idea that I want to be at my own funeral serving the food and singing the songs and singing my praises along with the other people. I'm very modest. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. I did that. Uh, don't forget that other thing that I did. <laughs>
Maybe we need to have a pre-funeral or something, you know, I, so that we we can attend. This is what I would do is if I attended my own funeral. Yeah. Leslie, <laughs> I don't love, but I had it planned for next year. I don't know what lockdown's going to allow. Um, an international gathering in which I allow myself, as well as all my friends, to do all the things I love to do. Readings from my books and blah, 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 yeah. And I'm even going to be involved in the buffets. Well, we'll see what lockdown allows. But yeah. it's kind of a wild dream. But I just thought I don't want to miss out on my funeral. It could be a really good affair. Yeah. Um, and then I'll die you later may, in my you own may time. start something. <laughs> <laughs> a new trend. Uh-huh. But I know I'm 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 taking something you said and sort of bouncing off in another direction. And I, I do I've learned from some of my friends who are better at grieving than I am. Um the value of grieving. I have got a tendency to want to transcend and skin skid over things and just get involved in something that that uh keeps me busy. Um and after my dad died, I wrote my first two books. They were books of cat poems, and it was a sort of displacement activity. There was a nice result, but I think it took me some while to grieve because I was thinking about cats. But anyway, we've all got our own process. <laughs> exactly. But probably just being creative is is allowing it to come out in some way. So yeah, any anything creative could be the way yeah. It did take me into, um, yes, it took me into the, almost like an indulgent place um, because cats are so much in the moment and they're so quirky and unpredictable. And so I could really engage with with the fluidity of life and the gift of life while I suppose there was an undertow of grief as well going on. It was the only time I remember when I, I really wasn't feeling much like doing the group work. Um, carried on because we had all these commitments but I would have quite liked to have had a sabbatical time and just been writing at that time there's different ways to get it out I suppose mm. or, or move through mm. it yeah so I understand and maybe we can go in from your book and also things that you've said to me that that choreography is really kind of a passion of yours that you seem to like to create dances. So maybe tell us a little bit about, you talk about several of them in your book. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about the process, maybe why you you create them or, or how you create them. I'd love to, I'd love to. Um, because for people who like the community dance, they like the, the sort of the collective, dance which isn't everybody's bag if you've also got a creative side this is one place that you can put it you can offer a dance to the community and see if it gets picked up um, and I do I love this because I'm a I have this what would you say I've got this passion for discovering music that takes you to a it's like discovering a new color or a new taste. It's just a bit different from anything that you've tasted before. And then, and my almost straight away, in almost every case, my body knows what it wants to do. And all I have to do is stand out of the way so that my body can do something. <laughs> I mean, not try and plan it. Um, and then 
do a little bit of a um a tidy up job or a craftsman's job because there's an extra beat in the music so what do we do there or this verse is longer than that verse occasionally i even edit the music um i shouldn't probably say that on a public media i didn't say that <laughs> somebody else said that it's um, an idea but, but i but i try to uh, honor the music and sometimes it's my own music and um usually the the basic way of moving is very instinctive and it's almost immediate how do i want to move to this music if i fall into what i would think of as a cliche like steps that you see everywhere then i think okay so what's new uh it might need some herbs and spices what do i do to make this different from another dance but that's the only role really that my um that my planning mind has is to kind of it's like the herbs spices and little tweaks at the end the rest is very spontaneous very enjoyable and usually quick process and then the people receiving also... the dance will tell me which ones work and which ones don't. And sometimes they get improved when we when we put them out there in the circle. I suppose that's like that teaching aspect again, that you get that, you're in that feedback loop. Mm -hmm. But you mentioned <laughs> a lot of the dances that you mention in your book are also seem to be based on a concept that- yes. um, that, so is that sort of the intention behind the dance and then you find the music or or how does that all unfold for you? Both ways. E either I fall in love with a piece of music and then I figure out what the dance is about, if it's about anything. Um, or I have a concept like uh, I love the image of the centaur. Is there some music that's going to work for that? So it's almost like I'm, I've, I've put out my cosmic order. Please send something my way. And quite often by serendipity, I'll hear something. Or friends, knowing how quirky I am, are always bombarding me with music, saying, you're going to love this. And sometimes I do. So I've, I've got these uh, pieces of lovely music on the back burner. And if I'm, if I'm in the mood for a moon dance or there's a an occasion coming up or a particular person whose birthday's coming up i might i might almost it's like those filters are sort of in my mind and i'm kind of not very not desperately looking for something but i'm uh, my peripheral ear is like what music's going to work for that for example someone emailed me just i think it was yesterday or the day before saying we're going to produce a choreography with water music will you create the music and i wrote back and i said so are you thinking of slow serene music or sparkling water or sparkling bubbly water oh both we're going to have the fast one and the slow one so okay good i like the sound of that I'm not sure if they want to choreograph it or if they want me to choreograph it, but I love that kind of opening. Giving you the, the flavor of what it is. You can hear the excitement in my voice. I get very yes. childlike, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's the creativity. That's the, the fire that comes in, I think, yeah. Yes, and it's a good remedy for me for the lockdown blues because I'm not immune to them and I have days when I'm not feeling so sparky. So this sparks me up. And I think going back to what we were talking about, about just originally 
what the circle dance is about. I think that's a very interesting thing to do it over Zoom and to allow people to connect because people are feeling very disconnected now. It seems like this would be a good a good healing remedy for for what's happening at this particular moment in time. Yes, as in every outreach, you know, whether it's art, music, dance, conversation, knitting, um, but dance has the one of the probably why one reasons why you and I love it is that music is such a profound it can be such a profound experience and it can also be so playful and enlivening and with both of those polarities it feeds two very deep needs in in us one is to experience stillness in the middle of chaos and the other is to kind of step out of everything that weighs us down and to lighten up and and it can do both of those things and moving to it is to get inside that experience it, it can take it further i think than than i love the inner dance but to have the outer expression really completes it for me so yes it is particularly during lockdown when when it's very easy to feel isolated and actually depressed and ground down or even just uh, stripped of the role that you used to have in life and wondering who the heck you are and why would why do you get up in the morning um it can help to i think revitalize the circuits. You say in your book, moving to music is like a mental and emotional massage. That was something <laughs> that really, <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> I don't know if you enjoy massage yourself. Yes, I do massage, yes. Do you? Oh, yes. I'm coming to Egypt. I'm not coming <laughs> to your funeral, I'm coming for a massage. <laughs> um, I. As I said, I was a very shy young person, and I, at, I've always been rather tight in my body. I don't have a natural dancer's body, um, and massage is one of the things I'm really grateful for, therapeutic massage, and certainly miss it during lockdown, and anything that gives the sensation of it, move, moving in any way that helps to loosen, that can be stretching, that can be shaking, that can be twisting, um, but gently and kindly, not forcing things as we might do in athletics. Uh, I, I think that's very healing. Pat I Adams. Oh, thank you, Pat. Thank you very much for that. I saw your message. My choreographers uh, uh, have inspired people in the network. That's really nice feedback. Thank you. So I want to get into your book because I can see that this conversation could go on for hours. <laughs> so maybe, yes. maybe we better cut to, cut to your book because I think okay. uh, we do want to talk about it. I've read your book and I love your book and I encourage everyone to read it. I think it's really, it's inspirational and there's also so much information in there because for me, the way I came to the dance was through kind of freeform dance and I didn't study. I don't have a background, um, you know, in the kind of in the physiology of what's going on. So I think your, your book is really a nice blend of the what's going on in the brain, what's going on in the body, then the, the creative aspects 
and your personal experiences. So I really recommend the book to um, to everyone. I think that there's something in there for everyone. And uh, but let's just touch on a few of the of the topics because I think you you are presenting so much information, and there are things that that I would like to talk about. I think one of the things well, one of the things that I got from your book, but also I think that it relates to the circle dance is, is you were talking about how dancing really gives us skills for life situations and how one of your pieces, Valenki, I think it's called, um, is really about kind of teaching people how to work in groups. And I think this is a really interesting concept because I had, I hadn't really thought about that before, that how that could kind of, how you could actually use a dance to teach people different kinds of skills. That's, th yeah, thank you for that. Can I just say in case somebody's listening and, and they haven't encountered the book that we're talking about, it's called Dance Wise, just those two words. Um, it was published in October uh, just last year and it's got a number of dimensions representing my own personal experience over a few decades of group work and quite a lot of other teachers teaching dance in the community with specific groups like recovering addicts, stroke, um, people recovering from strokes, uh, young children, people who are being supported through trauma. It's looking at some of the practical uses of dance and the feedback that people give about it. So, um, and in that context, yeah, I mentioned a dance called Valenki, which I think is a traditional dance. Um, it's one that Bernard Bosian, the man I mentioned before, had a very strong role in the founding of all of this. Um, he used to like to teach, and probably for exactly the reason that you say, because you have two circles that move in opposite directions, then find their way of becoming knitted together, and then become each one becomes a sort of a gateway for the other, and they pass through and through. Um, so there's a great sense of, of cooperative activity. In fact, it takes five minutes to learn and five minutes to dance. And it's like a whole day, I would say it's like a whole day of team building exercises. At the end of it, you feel this great sense of group achievement, unity. Um, and not only that, but you've had fun. It's quite a playful dance. And there are other dances that have to do with, uh, for example, the person at the, the, at the leading end of the line, it flips around and they become the tail and the person at the other end of the dance becomes the leader. We call this the snake dance because the snake changes direction. There are many dances that we can use in team building, community awareness and empathy, um, sort of, yeah, exploring empathy really. It's got those dimensions to it. And I think something else you pointed out is about the muscle memory that just by doing these dances you're creating that that important uh memory in your body so that the more you do them you can become more agile you can become more balanced just by doing simple dances that um that build those particular skills as well absolutely uh, the ability to change direction 
not only in the dance but in life a uh, big one for me and this is um it's almost like a feature of the old folk dances and much less a feature in contemporary and ballet stamping stomping putting your foot down dancing with a firm a sense of solidity and presence and the presence isn't just downward in the ground it's also upwards people english people when they do greek dances for example tend to grow an inch or two because you can just feel it in the music you grow in into the sun and that feeling of embodying your own presence and your own power in in your physical body not just in a concept um i feel that well i've had practice in it in dancing as i said i was a shy person i also was a person who was uh, i had difficulty with being assert assertive um putting my foot down and saying no it seemed like that wasn't a very nice thing to do and that put me in situations that really compromised me um where i found i was doing things that i didn't want to be doing but somehow i hadn't managed to say no and i really think the dancing helped just to make it very natural and relaxed thing to say well actually this is where i'm standing um and uh i honor you and where you're standing but i need to be here where i'm standing it's a sort of it strengthens your being as well as your muscles i believe and I think that is a healing dance. And and I I never saw it that way. When I mean this is what I got from your book. For me, healing dance, if I'm if I'm talking about healing dance related to the kind of dance I'm doing, it's always more about moving something through your body, maybe moving the energy through your body to remove a blockage or to um as we were talking about emotions, to let emotions kind of flow through your body. But I never thought about that aspect of muscle memory and practicing different things, that how stamping your feet could be cathartic or really good for people, as you were saying, who are unassertive or who are angry. And that Absolutely. never occurred to me that, that we could actually build those skills of how to do different things that maybe we aren't good at, like being assertive, that we could actually build that through a dance. I, I found that fascinating. I'm so glad. And to me, it has an emotional counterpart because in our mind's eye, when we dance different dances, we become a mountain, a tree, a river. Um, so whichever qualities are um, maybe not so developed or explored in us, we have a chance to explore them. We're exploring the whole landscape of our own emotions. Um, what you were saying about the cathartic aspects of movement, I love that too. I love the fact that uh, we can shake out and stretch out a lot of our, uh, not just physical tensions, but actually stuck attitudes. Um, uh, heavy emotions can be freed through movement and we tend to breathe much more deeply when we dance and that's another aspect of emotional release it everything seems to support everything else i mean i, I know i'm a bit of a born again dancer having come from a, a a sort of shy somewhat disembodied youth i'm i'm really a bit i try not to be but i get a bit evangelistic because it's meant so much to me and i see other people um move from places where they seem to be feeling very 
heavy and sad into a place where they're, where they're feeling more connected with their own integrity and with the community. But that's that walk the talk kind of thing that you need to, you've had that experience. You, you hold the truth of what dance has done for you. So you can speak from a place of truth when you say how it can improve your life or, or your state of being or your emotional state. And yes. I think that's important. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, it's been very interesting for me working with adults who receive mental health support, which is a very diverse group. Um, seeing over time, because some of them I've been working with for over 10 years, seeing over time how dance is part of um, an evolution for them of stepping more into their body, into their feelings, feeling more connected. In some cases, people who were very, very wary of any kind of contact, whether it was verbal or tactile, finding in the dance um, that they could connect with people. It, uh, it, it's been really moving to see that and to learn, to learn by watching and participating in that. Talk a little bit about how it's used for things like addiction or dementia, because I think mm. this is really, both of those are, to me are very, I think we could have a whole conversation just about <laughs> heal, how to. dance is healing, but, yeah, but just I'll try maybe and... pick a couple of, of those things. I thought those are the things that sort of jumped out at me that I thought were really impressive. Thank you, Leslie. I don't, you may or may not have read it. There's a lot of research now. You can just Google it, dance and dementia and music and dementia. The two go hand in hand. Um, really very well researched, documented, um, objective studies showing that um, it somehow helps us reconnect lost memories and um, even the power of the power of communication and speech can be um, supported, temporarily reactivated through mu music and movement. It's as if some of our, some of the capacities that we lose in the process of um, Alzheimer's or dementia are still there latent. It's as if somehow little there are little gaps in the circuits and I know this is not a scientific way of, of saying it, but it's as if the music and the movement helps to rejoin the bits that have got disconnected. It's almost like wires that have got disconnected. We're still on a learning curve about it. We know more what happens than why it happens. But there's a huge body of evidence that every kind of dance, for example, dance with people who are in wheelchairs seated, um, or just movement and swaying to the uh, music and swaying to the music. And in that situation to include, not exclusively, but to include music that people are familiar with can also be really helpful because it seems to reactivate like old photos. It seems to bring back things that somehow slipped out of the frame. It puts them back in the frame. It's like, I remember that. Hey, you haven't spoken for a month. Yeah, but I remember that. And it, I don't know. Um, it, it's a really wonderful thing. I would say dementia and Alzheimer, any form of dancing uh, will be healing and supportive. If people are, if people need the 
or want the emotional support, perhaps if they're shy or fragile or grieving, um, then the sacred circle dance repertoire could have a lot to offer them in addition because it does it does really allow and enable people the whole range of emotions it's not just upbeat uh, and 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 the ethos is that there are no mistakes only variations at least when you're learning a dance if you want to perfect it sure that's great but if when you're learning it or just enjoying it don't worry there are no mistakes only variations and i said that first <laughs> if I say so myself, and it's become it's gone viral. <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> you heard it here. <laughs> I didn't well, quite say it first. I'm <laughs> gonna I'm gonna fess up now. There's a wonderful singing teacher called Frankie Armstrong. I went to her work. Uh, one of you maybe know her. Went to a workshop in 1980, and she said there are no wrong notes. They're just whatever you sing will be a harmony somewhere in the world. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I like that. And I gave it a different turnaround when I started sharing the dances. And that's how it is. There are no mistakes, only variations. Well, I think that brings us full circle to where, where we began, which is that about the joyful aspect of dance and that it doesn't need to be something that, that you perfect, but something that you just do for the the creativity or for the joy of doing it so yeah well Which thank is, you yeah I, I mean all kinds of folk dance i think were based on that idea the idea of a dance performance uh, probably existed in old societies but it's become much more to the fore in our awareness now which is why most people say well i i can't do it because i can't be as good as them it doesn't matter you just yeah, as you say, it's the joy, it's the inner experience. It can be like a moving meditation. It can be a healing experience. It can be a form of self-exploration and self-development. It's got so many dimensions. Well, and as you say in the book, dance is our first language. And I think that that's very profound. I have to attribute that to Peter Lovett dance psychologist in England and that's actually what his academic subject is dance psychology yeah. and that's his phrase and I like it I love it <laughs> Peter love it I love it <laughs> and it's very true okay <laughs> well thank you thank you Stefan this has been a wonderful conversation and I think we could go on for hours but probably we should we should wrap it up um, but I do want to encourage people to to read your book. And there's more information on Stefan's website. Uh, also, maybe you can just tell us about any up and coming events that you might that you might have. I'd love to do that. I'll try and do it quickly. Um, tomorrow evening, there's a concert and the concert features me and my wife, Bethan, singing some songs. It's called Enchanted Land. And in between, there are musicians playing the duduk, which is an Armenian sort of clarinet, the Celtic harp or Celtic harp. Um, uh, at, oh, a caval, which is a lovely sort of breathy wind instrument from Eastern Europe and the saz, which is a very jangly Turkish instrument and an oud and all sorts of things. Um, contact me on, I think there's a there's an email 
that Leslie's going yes. to give. Contact me on the email if you like the sound of that. We've got a lovely dance thing on the 2nd of April called Tree Wisdom, mixture of dance, song and imagery. Um, you're exploring the idea of the tree as uh, as ourselves as a tree with roots and branches and a trunk and see where that takes us. And there's a whole series of things coming up. There's one on choreography. There's one, I'm calling it um, Dance Beyond Walls because I've always been interested in the power of dance to support social change and to bring people together across barriers. So Dance Beyond Walls will be exploring that one. And are these on your website? They're on the World Dance website that you're looking okay. at now. Oh, no, you're not looking at it. <laughs> yes, it's www.worlddance, that's one word, dot org. So World Dance has only got, sorry, World Dance mm -hmm. has got only one D in it. I was being very mean with letters. So it's W-O-R-L-D-A-N-C-E dot yes. org. So you can you can find out about the um, different events there, and as I mentioned, the book is called Dance Wise, and that you can find out more on www.dancewise. That's one word. Net, and you also have a free gift for for those listeners. So maybe you We've can tell us a little bit. <laughs> We've mentioned choreographies, um, and some of my choreographies are fairly recent, so they're not yet so well known in the network. And I'd be really pleased to share one or two of those with anyone interested, because I like this tradition of giving a gift along with a podcast. So um, I don't know if you can see my email, but it's D-A-N-C-E-W-I-S-E, dancewise, that's one word, 321 at gmail.com, dancewise321 at gmail.com. Just email me if you would like uh, two free choreographies. I'd love to share them with you. Excellent. So thank you. Thank you for being with us tonight and thank you for your wisdom and your book, which is wonderful. I hope people will read it because there is so much information in there that um, I do think there's something for everyone. So. Um, thank you thank so you. much, Leslie. I've, I've really enjoyed your questions. Um, I just want to add a very little thing. When I wrote the book, I realized you can never put everything within um, two covers. So there's a companion website that has a lot more. It has dance videos, it's got songs, it's got further articles by some of the teachers who've contributed to the book. Um, I, I look at it as the, the the other wing of the bird, if you like. So it's it's a book and a website, and and the website's free. Yes, and there's a lot to support the the book in there. So it's uh, I think you can get something beyond. I guess that's what's nice now about about the internet is that we can mm. kind of go beyond just the written word, and we can add more of an experience with it. So yes. so yes both of those things. All right. Well, thank, thank you, you for being with us. And Thanks maybe, maybe we'll bring in. you back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. So that was wonderful to speak to Stefan and, and get to hear what he had to say. And I really do recommend his book, 
there's so many things in that book that there's something for everyone. And it's very inspirational as well, I think. Uh, even if you do that type of dance, there's a lot to be said for someone's personal experience and, and hearing about their journey. So let me just tell you a little bit about what's going to happen next month. So we have Dr. Deborah Kern. She's the an author and the creatrix of Prana Shakti. So that will be on the 18th of April, on Sunday, another Sunday, on the 18th of April. And if you're on my mailing list, I'll be sending that information out. You can also go to my website, which is universaldancer.com. And there's a tab for the podcast. So you can see what who the guests are that are coming up as well as to find the links to previous interviews, conversations, all the information is there. So you can, you can keep up with that. And if you are on YouTube, if you're watching this as a video, please subscribe. That helps other people find these videos. If you like and subscribe the video, then it will come up more easily in searches for other people as well. And there will be a podcast version on Spotify and iTunes if you prefer to, to listen to the podcast. So I just want to thank you again for those who were here live. Thank you and thank you for your comments. And I hope to see you next month. All right. Bye-bye.